So it's hard for me to confess my errors in life. Uh, we grandparents will go to great lengths to put a smile on our grandkids' faces. Sometimes we don't measure well in those great lengths, though. It was about 10 years ago, I think, and the hot item that Christmas was Tickle Me Elmo. You remember those days? Well, I was scrambling everywhere to look for one for our granddaughter, Emma, and it, I, I just couldn't find it. Every day, I'd go online to see if I could find it. Finally, one popped up out of the blue on Amazon. And quickly, I, put, I put the, the, pushed the one-click, you know, buy here, and I did that. It wasn't until about a week later that I realized what I had done. I had ordered Tickle Me Elmo from another continent. <laughs> and by the time I paid for shipping and handling and uh, the exchange rate, Tickle Me Elmo was $125. <laughs> Elmo was tickled. I was not. My mood that Christmas sort of was dampened just briefly for a bit, a bit of time. You know, it's not hard to establish a right mood at Christmas. You just got to dim the lights, turn some twinkle lights on, put some music on. You start setting the mood for Christmas. But those of us who are in Christ Jesus, the more that we grow, the more we understand that it's not mood that we're going for. What we're going for is truth and accuracy and clarity it's easy to strike a mood, but let's don't do and take the easy route. Let's go for what God really wants us to understand about the central message of being a follower of Jesus. I suppose of all the passages and of the Christmas season, the most familiar one is that one where the shepherds are in the fields keeping watch over their flocks. Maybe it's because the Charlie Brown's Christmas is so popular. I don't know why. Uh, but we, uh, of that passage, of all passage, passages, perhaps the, the most popular statement, the announcement that, that we're most familiar with, believer or unbeliever, is this one. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. men. We're familiar with that. We've heard that. It's on our Christmas cards. It's sung about. We see it. And on stickers or on posters, but let's deal accurately with it. And in so doing, we will have a deeper understanding what this season is about and will worship the Lord differently as a result. First of all, let's go for this, what peace on earth isn't. First of all, peace on earth is not about political peace, international peace or, or national peace. Uh, Christianity certainly makes culture better when the gospel message permeates the cultures, when it, when it is able to work. And the gospel has made a striking difference wherever it is welcome. It does that because God is holistic in his message and his love. He, he, he makes all things better when we welcome him into life. But if we're going to measure the success on Christianity, uh, the success of Christianity, by measuring peace on earth among nations, we're going to be disappointed. Even after the resurrection of Jesus, while the world was being turned upside down by the gospel message, Jesus said there are going to be wars and rumors of wars, and there were right up until the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD, right after the resurrection, that great news. Luke was reading something a couple of weeks ago. We read in 2016, in that particular year, there were only 10 nations of the world that were not involved in some kind of conflict. 
We are very accustomed to conflict going on in the world. We see it every day in a number of, 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 of outlets in the media. Peace on earth is also not, a, not psychological in nature. It's not, it's not just about internal equilibrium or having the perfect poise or having some placidity of spirit. Sometimes we get the idea, I get Jesus in my life and then nothing's going to bug me anymore. It, it, and I, I, that, that I can face the world and nothing's going to come undo me. Yet Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division from now on, they will be divided father against son, mother against daughter. I've come to bring fire on the earth. When you start following Jesus, if you've been serious about being a disciple of his, what you find is sometimes disturbance comes into your life. An upheaval comes to your life. Satan is on the move to undo your faith. He's on the attack. There are people that are upset by your decision, by your commitment to Christ, that you become irritating to people sometimes because of your conviction by the values by which you live. You can be excluded. The choir and the sanctuary service saying, I heard the bells on Christmas Day. One of the verses in that, if you remember, is, but in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, yet for hate is strong and, uh, and, and what? And mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to me. And it does, doesn't it? Today, throughout the world in many venues, maybe in your own life, you feel like, you feel like your faith is being mocked by this peace you claim to have. Hate is strong in our world today. What do we do with this? How do we, how do we handle all of this? Doesn't the Bible say that he will give you perfect peace when you camp out with him? Doesn't he say there's a peace that passes all understanding? Didn't Jesus say that I've come to bring you a peace, the kind of peace that the, the world doesn't have or can't offer you? Yeah, it says all that. But you see, that kind of peace is a temporal peace. It's a relative peace. This is what I mean. Uh, you go through an upheaval in your life in whatever category, it's your job or finances or your marriage or your kids or, or something, and you can't get to sleep at night, or you wake up at 3 a.m., you can't go back to sleep, you're disturbed, and what happens? You, you go to Christian friends, maybe you seek a Christian counselor, uh, you, you go to the scriptures and you pray through the Psalms, you find yourself in the Word, you're on your knees in prayer, and as you, as you practice the spiritual disciplines, you find this peace that passes understanding. And God does meet you there, and he grants you this wonderful peace. And, and so that, that you learn it. But what happens? You go through that time of peace. What, there's another disturbance. And the same kind of process goes on. It's a year later, and something else, there's an upheaval, and you go through the same distance to try to find that peace. My, my point is there's an ebb and flow in the circumstances of life. That sometimes there is not peace in the circumstances you're going through, yet you seek it, and God grants it as you allow him to be Lord. What this kind of peace we're talking about is an objective peace, not subjective. It's an objective peace. It's a constant peace. It's a peace that begins here on earth and continues into eternity. Here are two clues to this peace on earth. One was read by Luke last week when he read Zechariah's song. 
And we studied about waiting on the Lord. In the middle of Zechariah's song, this is, what he's, this is what he's talking about when he refers to the baby in Elizabeth's womb, his wife's womb, who is John, who's going to go, grow up to be the Baptist, the one who makes the way for Jesus. He says, you, John, my child, shall be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, to guide our feet in the way of peace, there it is. It's objective. It's specific. It's, it's, it's this forgiveness of sins. Clue number two is spoken by the angel himself. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. Now we'd rather the King James Version. That's what we're used to because Charlie Brown says it, right? Uh, peace on earth, goodwill to men. That's what we see, the King James Version, on our Christmas cards. We like old David Bowie and Bing singing it, right? Peace on earth with the drummer boy. We love that duet, right? Who wouldn't like that? We like our high school choirs. Let there be peace on earth. And we like candles and, you know, feel better. But that's not what, that's not what the angel was announcing, the angel was announcing how the NIV has it is right. Peace, peace, on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. And it certainly doesn't rest on most people in the world today. Because at our base level, and I'm not just pointing my finger at unbelievers. I'm pointing the finger at me. We have a basic hostility toward God. Jonathan Edwards, a great preacher centuries ago, read a, wrote, wrote a great sermon on this text. And he said, we're hostile to God in three ways, in our minds, our wills, and our emotions. Intellectually, in our minds, we have hostility toward God. This is what it looks like. If you've ever thought this way, you get the Bible out and you're reading it. So you're in the Old Testament, and you read about Joshua being told to go in to Jericho, march around that wall, the walls fall down, and then go kill everybody. What? I don't agree with that. God shouldn't do that. And then I flip some pages, and I read about Uzzah. Remember Uzzah? He was the guy that kept the Ark of God, the Ark of the Covenant, from falling on the ground and breaking into pieces. God had said earlier, anybody touches that Ark, you're going to be dead meat. And Uzzah, all he cared about was that Ark not being broken. And, my, and I read that, and, and Uzzah stopped the ark from falling. He, he dropped dead. God killed him. I don't like that. I don't think God should have done that. Now I go to the, the New Testament. Every time I've ever preached the prodigal son, we get to the elder brother, and somebody invariably comes up to me, I don't care. I don't care what you tell me. I don't like how that elder brother was treated. I don't, I don't like that. Now what that is is intellectual hostility toward God. I don't agree with what you did, God. That's hostility in an intellectual level and a mind level. We do it in our wills. So you get off the phone talking, about, talking uh, with somebody, and you know you just gossiped. Yeah, no, well, it's just kind of a problem I have. Or you're dating this girl, and you move in with her, or you're having sex with her. Yeah, I know what the Bible says, but you know, you know just, that's not the real world today to save yourself from marriage. You know, or you, you know, you, you um, uh, I don't know, you get too much change back at the store. Well, you know, they're making a lot of money anyway. They're charging too much anyway. You know, that is not simply uh, little small things 
that, that you want to do because you feel like it. That is willful hostility against God. It's true on the emotional level as well. So you come to church, you're there, you don't really feel like being there because you've had a lousy week. Nothing went right this week. You don't want to be there. And here you are, you're in worship and you're standing there, you know, feel like singing, you're not going to sing. Here comes communion. Yeah, we take communion, we do that. But you are so, you are so griped about the week. Nothing, the, cro- the cross is all about somebody who, dying, who died for you. That, 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 that has embraced you, who loves you to the nth degree, who cares about your life, that this week you are more dominated by how the week is going than being enraptured by the cross again. Emotionally, you are checked out. That is hostility toward the cross of Christ. Do you understand how important this is? And I'm, I'm saying this to all of us, to me as well, because even under the blood of Jesus... Even though I announce his truth everywhere, I see all of this in my own life. Where at every level, in my mind, in my will, and emotion, I still have moments when I act like I'm not enjoying peace with God. Jesus came into our world to tear down the hostility wall that existed between us and God. This is what peace on earth is all about. And when we come to him, This is why we never get tired of taking these emblems. We're going to pass them a little bit. And we're going to hold a little bit of bread and drink a little bit of juice together. And do you realize what that represents? That God should have taken me out a long time ago. He should have crushed me. But instead, he made it possible for me to be in his presence and to love him and to serve him. What a God. Now, there are signs of peace. There are signs of peace that you really get this and, 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 and you understand it and you're a person of peace with God. And, and there, there, there are several, but here's three. One is that, that you love to worship both publicly and privately. It's not just your duty. You don't do it simply out of a sense of guilt. You don't do it to get what you want. That, that you, you see it as an occasion to celebrate who God is. That's what really worship is. It takes a lot of different forms. But basically, worship is adoring God for who he is. And you realize, I was at war with God. There is no reason why I should be able to stand here and sing these praises. And yet he lets me, he, he, he hears my praises as a sweet offering of sacrifice to him. That's what he made possible. And I never stop wondering at that. I never stop being awestruck by his grace and mercy on my life. That's how you understand. That's how you know you understand peace. Second, you no longer fear failure. And what I mean by that is before Christ, we're scrambling to find some sense of significance. How am I going to feel my worth, that I'm valuable, that I'm worth something? Well, it's by our performance or it's about our, our, how much money we make or about where we live or what we drive or what we wear or who we know or, or how we're seen or accolades or awards or, or whatever, how well our kids are doing or, or our grandkids are doing and, and their successes. And we live through them to show that I have significance by their successes in all kinds of crazy ways. We try to, and what happens is if any of that goes haywire, then my whole sense of value and worth is attacked and I'm taken down. But you know, when you're free from that, when you have peace with God, because he's the one that makes us significant. He's the one from whom we get our sense of worth and value and significance. It's him. So that no matter what happens here, no matter what happens here, if I, if I, if I don't live up to his standard, or if I don't live up under people's standards, 
I'm still his child washed by the blood of his son Jesus. And nothing robs me of the worth he has put in me by virtue of the cross of Christ. That's how you know you have peace with God. And third, you're going to be persecuted. Expect it. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, all those who live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, not everybody who are persecuted you know, are godly. You can be persecuted for any number of reasons. And I would say to you, if you're always persecuted as a Christian, you're probably just obnoxious. <laughs> Do you know obnoxious believers? Yeah. I mean, they, they invite it. They like, persecute me. Come on, kill me, kill me. I want to be killed. You know, that's sort of the spirit by which they live. They love to aggravate people. Well, that's not what Jesus calls us to. But he does say, if you're serious about following me, don't be surprised when people exclude you. Don't be, don't be surprised when they misunderstand you, you get slammed, you get thrown under the bus. Don't be, don't be surprised when you're not invited out after work. Don't be surprised if your family talks about you and hopes you don't come to the family reunion because you're a Jesus freak. You know, there's all kinds of ways that is seen. You, as a disciple of Jesus, ought to be the best employee your company has. Your boss ought to be able to say to you, do you have any friends that are just like you? I'd love to have more employees like you. And of all bosses anywhere, your employees ought to look at you and say, I've never had a boss as good as you. That doesn't mean you're soft. It means even if you have to fire somebody, you do it with dignity and grace and kindness. And you just don't destroy the worth of a person when you have to do it. It means as a boss, you treat people with great respect and honor. If you serve tables, it happens to come about paying taxes and you make a comment, uh, man, if I didn't have to pay taxes, I'd, I'd sure have a lot more tip money. You mean you pay taxes on this? You don't have to, you report this? Well, yeah, I have to. And your coworkers don't like you because of that. It makes them, their dishonesty come out, you know? If you're on an athletic team, you ought to be the best team player on that team. You ought to have the best attitude of anybody else and the best encourager of everybody else on the team and the most respectful of your coach. I mean, on and on. You see the picture goes? And when you do that, not everybody will like you for that. Not everybody will. But in Christ, we must. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs, not obnoxiousness, because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. It's not keep a stiff upper lip. You know, it's not. It's rejoice in your losses. Rejoice in those moments when people don't get you, when they're confused about you, your value system, the choices you make don't make sense with the culture. They don't stay in line with our culture. Good for you when the world doesn't understand you, doesn't know what to do with you. It's all worth it. Do you realize what you have in Jesus? Do you realize today what this peace on earth means? What this announcement is all about? No wonder. Glory to God in the highest. He wants peace with us. When there's no sensible reason why he should, except by the fact we're made in his image and he wants us back as his own. You ever seen those lists in the paper where you, you might have a rich uncle that left you money? Here's some money. You know, we're looking for people. I always look for my name. It never shows up, you know. 
It's never there. I never was that lucky. But imagine, imagine you look through that. You, you, you find out some distant relative left you a million bucks. And you can't believe it. You're elated. They're putting it in your bank account. And you go to the ATM to start drawing on it. And you put your card in. And it says, this will cost you a $3 transaction fee. What? I ain't doing that. Well, how ridiculous. You're not going to spend three bucks to get a million? And how much more grand is this? Jesus says, I'll give you life here and forever. And it costs you nothing. You just lay down your life for me. You confess me as your Lord. What? I ain't doing that. Really? For a life of purpose, value, a reason to get up in the morning, somebody to walk with you through all the stages of life, the seasons of your life, and somebody to give you life beyond this life to come, and you're going to say, I ain't doing that. How foolish we would be. How foolish we are not to find new ways to sacrifice ourselves for all this. So peace receivers then, we've received as peace, become peacemakers. Peacemaking is announcing the good news. That's what a peacemaker is about. Now, it's, it fleshes it out, uh, itself out in other ways. But primarily, it's the announcement that came to us. We have the privilege of announcing. That's why you and I have to keep building relationships with people who don't know Christ. You should have lots of unbelieving friends in your life. Just to enjoy as people. Just to get acquainted with. Just to like to hang out with. Because maybe in time, they'll realize you have something they don't have. And they'll want to talk about it. And it'll be the open door to help them understand who Jesus is. You see, what happens is you stop evaluating people. You don't look at people and think, I wonder if I'd want her as my friend. I wonder if he thinks I'm a good guy. I wonder what, what, mm, I wonder what she thinks of me. You don't care. Now, when you understand this is a God who announces peace, and you know he's a God who's always pursuing people. You look at people, somebody's an unbeliever, and you think, hmm, wonder how God's hounding her. I wonder how God's pursuing that man. And I wonder how I could join God in what he's already doing in loving that person well. How could I do that? And our, whole, our, whole, our eyes change when we look at people around us. And we start welcoming them into our lives just to engage them and just to enjoy them as people first. So they'll have an opportunity to hear about Jesus. When the prophet Isaiah announced Jesus, he didn't announce him, foretell him as the prince of love, although he could have. It would have been appropriate. He didn't announce him as a prince of hope, but that would have been true. He didn't announce him as a prince of grace, but that would have been good too. He announced his coming as the prince of peace. Because until he's known that way, he can never be known as the prince of love and hope and grace and all the other ways. Do you know him as your sole prince of peace? Has the hostility wall been torn down between you and God? There's only one way that can happen is when you are willing to die to self, be baptized in the name of Jesus, and come out of that baptistry resurrected as a brand new person. If, that, if you haven't done that, the hostility wall is still up and it needs to come down. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. I hope that's true of you today. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you.
we praise you for there's none like you. Why, why, why should you love us? I pray in preparation for Christmas morning, Father, we will contemplate this truth. And we will sing praises to you from our hearts outwardly because we've been born again by Jesus Christ. And as we remember him in a few minutes, Father, I pray it won't be just a duty, a responsibility, a rote thing we do in a worship service, but we will actually be worshiping the God who made such a relationship possible. Thank you. In Jesus' name.